Uhuru, you are listening to Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3 FM. Broadcasting live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black Power 96.3 WBPU LP St. Petersburg, Florida, and now available as a podcast as well. You can follow us on Podbean by going to uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. And we want to welcome you to this week's Reparations in Action show, in which we will discuss some of the most pressing issues of these times of a colonial system in profound crisis. Here at Reparations in Action, we are white people in solidarity with African liberation and the struggle of the Black community for reparations. And we want to thank this incredible radio station, Black Power 96.3, for giving us this hour to speak to the white population on why it is our responsibility and our interests to unite with the African community struggle for reparations and self-determination. And today, uh, this is Jesse, I'm filling in for our usual main host, uh, Jamie Simpson, who will be returning to the show next week. And I'm joined as usual by the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess, Uhuru Chairwoman Penny. And we are very honored today to be joined by Chairman Omalia Shatela, the founder and leader of the Uhuru Movement, the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party. Uh, we wanna thank you, Chairman, for, for being on this program today. We are very, very excited to have you on and to have this, this important discussion with you today. Uhuru. Uhuru, Chairman. Uhuru, Comrade, thank you. I'm glad to be here with you, Uhuru. Uhuru, thank you so much for being on Reparations in Action today. It is always such an honor and truly a great revolutionary pleasure. Very exciting to, to have you on. And um, we have so many exciting and profound questions to discuss with you today. I just want to say, first of all, that I am the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee. And I want to salute Comrade Jesse Neville, who is open the show. And as the organization of white people, we were formed by the African People's Socialist Party, of which you are the leader. We are under your leadership, working in the white community, carrying out a mandate to win other white people to jump off that pedestal on the backs of African and oppressed people on which we sit and to stand in genuine solidarity with the African revolution and pay reparations. So, I just wanted to start by, by saying that for anybody who's listening. And Chairman, you are among so many other things that you, that you lead, that you're over, the whole African revolution, the worldwide struggle of African people. You also are the chairman of the Black is Back Coalition for Justice, Peace, and Reparations. And you are, the, the coalition is is holding its annual August conference this upcoming weekend, August 15th and 16th on Zoom. And, you know, just really um, like to, to see if you could address the significance of that. I know that the theme will be the question of political prisoners, and we would really like to talk you to talk about that. And also the you know, some of the history of the Black is Back Coalition and why this question of African political prisoners is so critical today. 
and what it means. Uhuru. Thank you, Chairman. Uhuru, thank you, Kamran. I think we should alert uh, our listeners and viewers to the fact that uh, uh, here in Florida, St. Petersburg, Florida, we're sitting in the middle of a, a, a serious thunderstorm uh, that on one occasion has knocked us uh, uh, taken our social, our internet down. And so I want people to be aware of that in the event something like this might happen during, happen during this discussion. But I think uh, this is a really important discussion, really important question. And I was talking to Comrade Jesse before the formal beginning of this uh, interview about uh, how uh, everything that we will be talking about on today uh, is related, how this question of political prisoners and the Black is Back Coalition, uh, all of this uh, is related. And even the existence of the African People's Solidarity Committee and the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, in many ways, uh, all of these things uh, that you're talking about owe their existence uh, to a, a struggle that the African People's Socialist Party, nearly alone, nearly single-handed, uh, has been engaged in for many, many years now. For uh, I was looking uh, recently at uh, a series of documents published in a book called Black Power Since the 60s. And uh, it opens up with the criticism of the uh, ideological flabberness uh, to, uh, to actually be generous of the African liberation movement. Uh, and and uh, the the need for a whole movement, one, to achieve uh, some kind of ideological clarity, coherence. And then, as you know, we've engaged in struggle for many years uh, to take on the counterinsurgency. And the counterinsurgency, of course, is that war uh, that was initiated by African people in this country and many oppressed peoples around the world uh, to defeat the revolution. And this counterinsurgency, of course, reveals itself in, uh, in, in many different ways, economic uh, aggression, ideological aggression, psychological warfare, uh, uh, political, you name it. And, and uh, it is to uh, destroy a revolution, is to uh, prevent a revolutionary uh, movement from emerging again, uh, or an insurgency, as they would like to, as they have called it. So all of this is related. And the party has been making this struggle single-handedly for single-handedly. We struggled with all kinds of existing organizations at the time uh, about how uh, this was a crucial issue that had to be won if we were going to make the revolution, if we were going to forward the revolution. And of course, what we came to understand ultimately is that most of the organizations that we were dealing with were not about forwarding a revolution as militant as some of them may have been, and some actually engaged in armed confrontation, armed struggle. So when we look at uh, what we've been doing now in, in the African People's Socialist Party uh, for a couple of generations is trying to, as we say, complete the revolution of the 1960s, which meant in part, we had to take on and defeat this counterinsurgency. And how did the counterinsurgency reveal itself? It revealed itself uh, through the murder of Malcolm X, through the murder of Martin Luther King, through the assault, major assault on the, our revolutionary organizations. Uh, and, and, and I mean, you know, we've got so many people who went to prison as a part of this whole process of counterinsurgency aggression to keep the revolution from happening. That's what it was all about. 
And so uh, we initiated a whole a process of campaigns, programs to take that on. Uh, while we were under assault, we opened up a, another front uh, inside the white community itself, among the colonizer itself, and the form of the African People Solidarity Committee. So we put the struggle for black power in the middle of the white community fighting on another front that took some of the pressure uh, off of the African Revolution and then um, uh, made it necessary for white power to fight in its own house, and its own yard, uh, to uh, defend itself. Uh, that's part of, and we raised the question that of, of ideology, of theory, philosophy, that it, we have to complete a revolution. It's not good enough just to be revolutionary by self-declaration. I'm a revolutionary because I say I'm a revolutionary. What the hell does that mean? And uh, how can you be a revolutionary if you don't have a revolutionary philosophy, a revolutionary theory? And you can call yourself a revolutionary, but if you don't have revolutionary theory, uh, it means that you're jerked behind, around by any event that comes along. So it's not like you have a what to what end that can constantly be your guiding star, uh, so to speak. And uh, so part of what we ended up doing uh, among the things we've done, of course, uh, is we recognize that this question of political prisoners, the numbers of African men and women who were in prison, we had something like a 500% increase and the number of people who went to prison in this country uh, uh, as a part of that attack on the Black Revolution of the 1960s, beginning in the, especially in the mid, late uh, uh, 60s, early 70s, we saw a 500% increase in the number of people who were thrust into prison. This was part of the counterinsurgency. And uh, so, so uh, uh, I became introduced to the question of political prisoners as a political prisoner myself. Uh, um, we engaged in all kinds of struggles. Connie Tucker, we made incredibly uh, important uh, uh, struggles around political prisons. Connie Tucker being one of them, African woman who came into the party out of Tampa, Florida, and who was arrested and given a five-year prison sentence uh, for the possession of marijuana that they couldn't even produce in court. Uh, 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 and, and, and so we went through this struggle. This question of political prisoner uh, is not new to us and it's not a separate issue. It's not an issue that can be taken on by itself. It is a part of the struggle to defeat the counterinsurgency. We must free these Africans who have locked up and other people who were locked up as a part of this process is people like Leonard Peltier, you know, from the, <laughs> from the uh, uh, Native American uh, movement, from the American Indian movement. There are others who fell during this process. This was counterinsurgency. So uh, in 19, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in 2008, 2009, uh, we initiated a process to build uh, the uh, Black is Black Coalition for Social Justice, Peace and Reparations. And this was part of the struggle uh, to complete the Black Revolution of the 1960s. Uh, this was part of the struggle to uh, give some kind of uh, ideological and strategic coherence to, uh, to a movement that had been dispersed, organizations destroyed, people locked up in prisons and what have you. And the movement, the, the forces who were out there didn't stand for anything. They would just fight, resist when that happened, uh, spontaneous demonstrations when that happened, or fighting around particular single issues. So what we did was uh, we had developed uh, what we call tactics and strategies for liberation. And included in that was to win, that we had to win 
Among the African masses and other peoples around the world, uh, unity with the struggle for political independence of African people. And so there were an assortment of groups who were out there or individuals who were out there, but like I said, there was no coherence to this movement. They were just doing things. And bringing those into this coalition uh, began a, a, a trek uh, toward some kind of ideological, some kind of political uh, coherence, some direction uh, to the movement. And from our perspective, uh, a part of the process to complete the revolution, and this is what we said, this was tactics and strategy uh, for the liberation of our people. And that's where the coalition came into existence. And so right now, the coalition is comprised of something like uh, 15 different uh, organizations, uh, 76 or so different individuals who are part of the organizations, uh, most of whom we try to, all of whom we really try to uh, win to participation in the uh, working groups, one of which is the working group around the question of political prisoners. And uh, so it, it is now in this campaign, which is crucial, because the question of political prisoners, nobody was talking about it except a handful of people who were interested in that question. Some of them were people who had been locked up themselves. Some of them are militants uh, who really have a deeply felt concern about those people who've been left behind, who've been locked up and in prison all this, all this time. And so, uh, but there was no widely recognized, there was no general uh, uh, approach to this question, or uh, even acceptance of the significance of this question, a general acceptance, a general approach about the so-called African liberation movement. Now, uh, on, uh, on, on next weekend, uh, at least 15 different organizations uh, will come together to discuss this question of political prisoners. And from the perspective of the African People's Socialist Party, this is a part of the project to complete the Black Revolution of the 60s. This is a part of the project responding to the murder of Malcolm X, responding to the murder of King, responding to the mass incarcerations and other kinds of aggressions that's happened as a part of the counterinsurgency against African people. So, Uhuru. Uhuru Chairman, thank you. And I think that's really critical. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the specific political prisoners and a little bit, you know, tell people who are listening a little bit about the people that are the political prisoners. Well, some of them is this uh, comrade Matula Shakur, uh, who was a member of uh, the Black Panther Party and Black Liberation Army. Uh, and the Black Liberation Army is, uh, it's just a beloved uh, formation that came out of the Black Panther Party that responded to the, to the vicious counterinsurgency, the war, the murder that was being made against the revolution, including the assassinations that I've just inferred, and also uh, to uh, the war being made against African people. I remember in the 1960s, there was a time when the New York Police Department was killing Africans and the Black Liberation Army put out a statement that said that for every, every time a cop uh, uh, kills an African, every time a domestic uh, military uh, uh, force in our communities, occupying force kills an African, they were, they were gonna kill a cop. And uh, that's the first police reform we began to see. Right away, we saw a decrease in the number because they, they meant it, they said it, and they did it. And uh, this was a really heroic and courageous stance that these comrades took. So Monsula Shakur, he's the one who uh, uh, introduced uh, uh, 
I think acupuncture and some other kinds of things and the part of the process to struggle against the one aspect of the counterinsurgency was the imposition of a drug economy uh, into our community that flooded our communities with drugs. And there's my comrade, the dear comrade, Sunni Adakoli, Akoli, uh, uh, who uh, was once known as, as Clark Squire and who was with Asada Shakur on the New Jersey Turnpike. I think that was in May 19, I think May 1972, uh, when they were stopped, they were being hunted uh, and they were stopped by, uh, by the state police on that turnpike. And that's where the cop uh, uh, tried to kill Asada. When she had her hands up, they wounded her, shot at her, shot her. And, uh, and, and uh, Carmen Suniata, Suniata, who's a, he's physically a small guy. Uh, but he jumped into the fray and uh, engaged in a very serious struggle. I think a cop was killed. Uh, uh, Suniata was able to pick Asada up, put her back in the car, drive off. Uh, ultimately, he had to take her out of the car because she was dying and he wanted her to get help. And he sat her uh, on the side of the median so that she could, you know, she would get help and what have you. I mean, these are two of the forces that we're talking about. Uh, and then, of course, I mentioned, you know, there's some people uh, who we know. We know uh, a comrade we used to know as H. Uh, Brown uh, from the 1960s. And Rap Brown uh, was a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And he was a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee when I was a member of that organization, though he came uh, to, uh, to that post as leader while I was in prison myself uh, due to the county insurgency, due to uh, my political engagement and uh, 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 struggle in the state of Florida. He's still locked up. And uh, I just saw something, I think, today or yesterday that uh, suggested that, uh, that he might be uh, suffering from cancer while he's there. We've got Suniata's 80 years old. He's been locked up for 50 years. And, even at a, and, and it's critical that we raise these questions right now. Uh, and, and the brother I used to know is Anthony Bottoms, Jaleel, uh, uh, Monta Keen, I think his name is, and uh, you may not remember him, but we knew him uh, uh, when we were in California. And uh, he, we helped him to publish a pamphlet while he was in prison. Uh, and he was one who, a uh, member of the Black Liberation Army who had been captured. He was probably one of the, one of the youngest uh, members who was captured. And when captured in, New in, in Louisiana, uh, he, if I remember this case correctly, had actually the, the police had uh, stuck electrodes to his testicles and things like that, electrical wires, and you know, tortured him in a very serious way. Uh, uh, these are just you know, some of the political prisoners. And of course, Asada Shakur uh, was one of the political prisoners herself. And uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because there were so many people who now love Asada and who love uh, so many of the political prisoners, but that love has to be translated into actual work that we have to do. And we have to do this work recognizing right now, while uh, there is uh, such uh, uh, interest in the struggle of our people, while the bourgeoisie, the ruling colonial powers themselves, uh, have had to uh, admit uh, to the horrible colonial offenses that's been uh, committed against African people. And they've had to admit it because of this extraordinary uprising, see? As long as the, we didn't have the massive kinds of uprisings that we see happening now, uh, then the bourgeoisie could be silent on the question. And, uh, but the people have driven these uh, issues uh, to the surface again uh, by the struggles that they've been involved in, that we've been involved in. And, uh, and this is just an, um, an extraordinarily important time.
uh, to push this question of political agenda, uh, of political prisoners onto the political agenda, just like reparations onto the political agenda. We have to, this movement has to say to what end? The, to have all the spontaneous uprising, rebellions, and naked white women doing what they call yoga poses, they call it something else uh, in strip clubs, but uh, to have uh, this now becoming the substitute uh, for the struggle is just extraordinary. We have to intervene. And there are thousands and millions of people who for the first time, many who have never thought about protesting or being involved in anything, it's the responsibility of the revolution. And many people who engage in stuff, they don't care about revolution. And this is not to undermine or, 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 or really, uh, it's not a criticism of masses of people who want to be in motion because everybody's got a beef right now with, uh, with US imperialism, with white power. People got a beef, white people got a beef, Africans, Mexicans, everybody's got a beef with this system. Everybody is feeling the squeeze. Everybody's experiencing the consequence of a colonial virus. Everybody's experiencing the consequence of, a, of, a, of a, the desperation of a, of a social system that's obviously undergoing death throes and, and what have you. So people have all kinds of reasons for rising up and wanting to fight, but this the base of this whole oppression, oppressive system. It's the base, which is the colonized Africans that kicked it off and that has given everybody in the world an opportunity to go out. It's like Colin Powell could go before the United Nations and tell a lie and be accepted by people who wouldn't listen to any of these other creatures because peoples around the world know the significance of the struggle of black people in this country and around the world. Barack, Barack, what's his name? The guy who was once the president, Obama, was able to be elected and many instances, people voted for him. Obviously, Africans voted for him because there's an incipient kind of nationalism that's always in our community because he's one of us. Uh, but white people voted for him, many of them, because they thought they were actually somehow supporting something new, something progressive, and supporting black people. The African struggle in this country is the, is the foundation uh, for any struggle for liberation. And so when this thing exploded, you saw peoples not only in the United States, it gave everybody with the beef, everybody with the gripe, everybody who wanted to fight, uh, anarchists, naked white women, uh, everybody who wanted to, they could jump into the fray. We have to give it direction. That's the responsibility of the revolutionaries, not just, not just individuals. Revolutionaries have this responsibility because we are the ones who understand what it takes to make a revolution. And we have to point this, 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 this extraordinary action, mass motion of the people uh, in the right directions. Uh, and people around the world have been waiting to see African rise up too. And so with all of this, you see tremendous amount of uh, expressions of solidarity support and we want to make sure on this agenda that everybody has to deal with is freeing these courageous men and women uh, who put their lives on the line to go up against the system at another time where consciousness was high. Uh, and as, as we have now uh, see this reemergence of consciousness, those who are now conscious have a responsibility to reach back and grab those who led the way. Uh, that's what this is all about. Uhuru. Chairman, that is so powerful. And I feel that it is completely related to the question that it, that Africans are fighting against colonialism and a colonial state and the question of reparations and all of the other, other questions that you have been laying out there, especially in this period, that African revolutionaries have to, and all revolutionaries, have to claim the leaders of the revolution who have been languishing and suffering 
in these colonial prisons for half a century since the last period. And, you know, just how, you know, just how that has been a unity with the counterinsurgency to allow that to happen and to, um, that, that you as the party and the party are putting up the question that the right of African people to struggle for and organize for revolution. And yes. I just wanted to say that the chairman's, for anybody who's watching this, that the chairman's book, Vanguard, which you can get at theburningsphereofmarketplace.com, has a whole exhaustive and very thorough question or, or chapter on the question of counterinsurgency. Really needs to be a whole book in and of itself because it is so profound. And just before we go on to other questions, I would like to ask you this too, Chairman, that you know, you have talked about how the, I mean, you know, how the entire African working class is under a counterinsurgent assault. And some people call that low intensity warfare, which it is not low intensity, it's extremely high, <laughs> you know, a military attack at all time with the mass imprisonment, with the mass police murders and just every other aspect of life. But you also talk about how once the African working class is actually organized in its own organizations for its own interests, there is a particular kind of counterinsurgency that, it, that is, is waged against the organizations and the leaders of that. So there's like two forms. And if you could just comment on that. First of all, I think it's really important uh, to say that colonialism is violent. Every aspect of it, every day, every moment is violence. Colonialism cannot be uh, sustained without violence. Uh, it's either the, the, the uh, ongoing obvious kind of violence, the threat of violence and what have you that all Africans have to live with, no matter where we live on the planet Earth. There's, there's violence and there's the threat of violence uh, that's used against us. And uh, prison is violence, uh, among other things, but almost every aspect of our lives. Um, you know, uh, so-called welfare system that requires that you can't have, the women can't have a man in the house. And that means that the children and, and women are deprived uh, of fathers and, and, and loved ones, uh, except that's violence. You, and, and, and if they're not doing that right now, immediately there's a threat of violence. Uh, that's, so that's an aspect of, of uh, colonial domination is violence, violence, violence. And uh, what we see is that uh, <clears throat> during uh, our history in this country, that violence uh, has taken you know, different political forms. And when we're talking about political forms, we're really talking about the existence of the colonial state that uh, came with the rise of capitalism uh, in the world. And the colonial state has looked uh, differently, different at different times. Uh, so we went through this period uh, that they call slavery. Uh, which was uh, just another way of talking about the the, uh, the forced expropriation of uh, of self determination, right to self determination from African people. And then, uh, when the slavery was supposed to have been over, uh, then you know we went through you know various other manifestations uh, of this, and and the, the the violence took different forms. And but the thing is that uh, the Jim Crow, the uh, as a child, uh, comrade. Um, you know, we talk about convict leasing and things like that as a child. 
uh, while convict leasing was supposed to have uh, been over, uh, the reality was it still existed and in fact, and it existed in the consciousness of black people, especially African men uh, in this country that you could be picked up, thrown into prisons anywhere uh, in this country uh, without any kind of recourse uh, or, or anything like that. So uh, we had uh, this, this, uh, this kind of uh, violence that was imposed on, on us and the whole population. You've had an opportunity to uh, read about this uh, relatively recent discovery of the horrors that existed in this, this children's prison in Mariana, Florida, uh, where so many children were killed and, and graves found there. I grew up, you know, uh, with the threat all the time. All of us did with the threat of being sent to Mariana. That's what we, Mariana, that's what we live with all the time. So this violence and threat of violence was always there. But when the revolution reared its head, uh, when, this, uh, uh, the, when the revolution took off, then uh, what happened is we had a, a, a kind of vanguard emerging. That is to say, from the African population, I'm talking in general terms now, uh, that, that this whole struggle began to challenge uh, uh, imperial white power. And when that happened, uh, uh, even though the general population was still oppressed, but the concentration of violence and the target uh, was on the revolutionary organization, the revolutionary leadership that could bring the whole masses of our people out of the situation. This is where we see, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you know, when I say this, I want to be clear about something else. That's an African, even before uh, this kind of uh, development with, with uh, conscious, uh, organized, and sometimes ideologically uh, informed struggle, an African in any community in this country, if you got a new car and, and was driving down the street, the cops would stop you and would do bad things to you. If you seem to have a better house than the white people might have or a white person might have, the stop and sometimes you'd be killed and horrible things could happen. That was just regular. That, that was somebody who was stepping out of place. That was an uppity nigger that was being wiped out. So it wouldn't set the stage for other Africans to have the same kind of aspirations to do better than what the general colonial uh, uh, setup uh, 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 you know, promoted. And then now you have these organized forces who are standing up to fight out, fight. And uh, the, you have this, this process, this, this strategy that was developed. And the British took a big leadership uh, uh, in this counterinsurgency, uh, they were informed tremendously uh, by what happened uh, in in Kenya with the Mau Mau in the 1950s, where they had to fight uh, a, a revolutionary war uh, to crush the Kenyan Land Freedom Army or, or Mau Mau, and this contributed too. But it was not the only manifestation of uh, of uh, counterinsurgency warfare, because all all the time when you've got slavery, colonialism then they had to create an art and a science to uh, perfect the methods through which they could control masses of people, uh, and which is what they did. And, you know, the centerpiece of the whole uh, uh, strategic uh, uh, component of uh, counterinsurgency is population and resource control. And uh, people wonder why you can't get any black shops or anything in the African communities, et cetera, and even as somebody else who comes from someplace else, it might be Indian, might be uh, some other part of the world can come to an African community, get resources, set up a shop in the African community, and Africans can't do it. 
uh, and that's part of the whole issue of counterinsurgency. It is population and resource control uh, to the point that Africans have access and control of our own resources or any, any approximation of our own resources or uh, any uh, control uh, over the African population and what have you, uh, that's a threat to the imperialists. You've been to places like uh, New York uh, and uh, Brooklyn, I think it uh, probably has been. I think that's where they would do what they call West Indian Day uh, 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 mobilizations. And when as soon as it looks like it's going to get dark, there are thousands and sometimes maybe almost a million people out celebrating. And then it looks like it's going to get dark. dark. You see cops on horsebacks and things like that, uh, you know, uh, using all kinds of means to disperse people because they cannot tolerate African people being together uh, like that uh, uh, on our own in, 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 you know, large concentrated forces. So this is counterinsurgency. And, and what we see is, uh, I mean, there are other places, as you know, where counterinsurgency uh, was employed, not just in Africa, not just among African people, but uh, in other places, Vietnam, uh, uh, Malaysia, uh, uh, and various other kinds of places where they've used counterinsurgency. Australia, uh, you know, when they murdered so many black people there and what have you. But uh, so at the time where the movement uh, begins to surface with some kind of organization coherence, then those forces become the primary target for counterinsurgency. Uh, uh, and we know what they did uh, in Kenya with the Kenya Land Freedom Army and, and how many thousands and thousands of people. We saw that in Chicago with barbed wire fences or fences going up around housing projects and you have to have fingerprints and photo ID uh, even in order to visit your relatives in the housing projects and what have you. I mean, this was just massive kind of counterinsurgency war uh, that was being made against African people. And that's what we're up against even today, even though it has a, another form. And part of the problem that we've always had is the colonized, the colonizer population that's supposedly our friends. Uh, the white people who love us, uh, who jump into the fray, uh, ostensibly in the name of supporting black people, but supporting their own agendas, they're, they're uh, fighting uh, to, to deal with their own beefs against the system, even which when realized won't make a damn bit of difference uh, to the conditions that African and other colonized people uh, uh, come, suffer with. I mean, the white woman with her legs open uh, in, in, in uh, uh, what was that, Portland? Portland, uh, yeah. Portland. I mean, I don't know what the consequence of how in the hell, what does she want? Whatever she wants with her legs open in the middle of the street like that, she can get it without it making a damn bit of difference in the conditions of African people. And that's the kind of stuff that we're confronted with that can be confusing to some. Chairman, thank you so much for this. And I, I really, I really unite. It's a very deep and, and lengthy discussion because there's so many aspects of it. And I really appreciate what you're laying out. And two things that I want to say before I turn it over to Jesse is that I totally unite that counterinsurgency requires the, uh, the support, the participation, the active participation of the colonizer population. And in so many ways, it has been the liberal sector of the colonizer population that has been on the forefront of counterinsurgency from the Democratic Party um, and Biden and Clinton on the crime bill, on free structure out, on you know just unity with the with the criminalization of the African population overall in every front that that the U.S. is trying to do that. And so you know we call on people to 
uh, white people to look at APSCUhuru.org and, and UhuruSolidarity.org to take a stand for reparations and in genuine unity with the liberation struggle of African people. And also, I do want to, you know, call on, on everybody who's watching this or listening to it to go to um, blackisbackcoalition.org to sign up for the Black is Back conference this weekend, where this whole discussion is going to be deepened and um, it's going to be a very profound event. So I want to uh, turn it over to Comrade Jesse. There's some other issues and questions as well. Before we get to that, I just wanted to give an example of what we're talking about, because so many people are who call themselves Marxists and communists are familiar with the French commune, uh, the struggle in Paris or the Paris commune, uh, where there's, this is the, called a template to a sort of a revolutionary struggle that shows what uh, communism might look like, uh, socialists could look like. And, and, um, and so the French commune ultimately was crushed. Uh, that movement of uh, the Paris commune was crushed and defeated. And uh, uh, many of the, those who were participants there uh, were shipped off to a French-controlled place called New Caledonia. And uh, over a period of time, those white people who were sent to New Caledonia uh, became a, a majority in the population. And then even in the process of becoming a majority of the population, they became the colonizers in New Caledonia. They've taken over New Caledonia. Uh, the uh, indigenous black people in New Caledonia who've been fighting for freedom, they're now fighting against the children of the, 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 this, this revolutionary white French you know, movement. And that doesn't get any play at all. Nobody even recognizes that. So the, the point that just because uh, uh, European colonizers are involved in struggle, that does not in and of itself uh, translate uh, into their solidarity with the oppressed peoples around the world upon whose oppression uh, and exploitation the entire uh, social system uh, rests. And, and I just wanted to point that out as a kind of example of what it is we're talking about. So this is not just some empty discussion that we're having, but they're practical historical uh, experiences that validate exactly what it is that we're talking about. Uhuru. Chairman, it's a profound discussion. Thank you very much. And I'm going to turn it over to Jesse. And we have a few other questions as well. I know we don't have that much time. So I'm sorry for hogging it, but uh, oh. let's go ahead. <laughs> yeah. This has been amazing. Wow, Chairman. This is really, really yes. exciting discussion. Uhuru. Yes, this, this has been incredible. I think I speak for um, everybody who's tuning in right now when I say that I, I've just been really blown away by. Uh, the depth of the analysis and just the power of everything that you're saying, uh, Chairman, and just want to express my total unity with, with all of it. And I want to shout out people who are tuning in, um, especially everybody here in St. Petersburg who's tuning in on Black Power 96.3 FM WBPU here in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I also want to shout out people tuning in online, including uh, viewers on Facebook from Kuwait, from Washington, D.C., from Occupied Azania, from Spokane, Washington, St. Louis, Missouri, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, New York, and Los Angeles, California. So we just appreciate everybody for tuning in for this incredible discussion that we are having with Chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, 
Chairman O'Malley should tell us. And Chairman, you've just been discussing the question of the counterinsurgency. And uh, in the past couple of days, we've seen over 100 people arrested in Chicago after a night of what the bourgeois media is describing as quote unquote looting. And in many of your recent presentations that you've been giving uh, in response to and summing up the, the incredible rebellions in Minneapolis and beyond, you have been calling for reparations to African people. Could you talk about what's going on in Chicago where African people are reclaiming their stolen resources, which the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, has described as looting, and she has actually gone out of her way to distinguish what's happening there from what she called the righteous uprising in Minneapolis. Just wanted to hear your take on that. As righteous as Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, first of all, you know, uh, again, the success of the defeat of the African Revolution in the 1960s makes it necessary for us to have this kind of discussion because the reality is that um, whatever they call it, um, their Africans uh, don't have enough uh, time alive uh, to be able to accomplish the extent of real looting that happened that created this whole system. I mean, uh, you can't find indigenous people in Chicago, you know, except the Mexicans, you know, who, who do live uh, uh, there uh, and, uh, and who themselves catch hell in, 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 uh, uh, in Chicago. And you're talking about an African population that really built uh, that city uh, going back from, for, for years, you know, uh, uh, being pushed out of places like Mississippi in particular, uh, 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 through terror and oppression there. And uh, just like we found in other places, particularly when you saw large numbers of Africans who were, uh, who uh, almost, um, I hate the term immigrated, but who uh, were pushed uh, uh, into these other cities coming from uh, really uh, southern uh, cities where the, uh, much of the economy was tied to agrarian uh, control. I mean, just rural control, just terror uh, by sometimes groups like the Klan, but just ordinary white people who could kill you uh, with impunity. And so when you see these large numbers of Africans going into places like Chicago, uh, you see, uh, even though it's supposedly, you know, in quotes, this kind of northern city, uh, you see uh, brought with it the forms of state violence that uh, was also uh, something like what you saw in southern areas in Mississippi. Uh, there was, a, as, as you know, uh, and for like Oakland, California, for example, there was a special recruitment of these big uh, collard green crack eating crackers uh, from the south uh, to be functioning as cops in Oakland. Uh, to control the Africans who had left what they thought was uh, the southern terror of the United States. So similarly, Chicago. And Chicago has a vicious, a vicious reputation of oppression of African people. This is the city uh, that murdered Fred Hampton. This is the city uh, that put drugs into his Kool-Aid, that uh, actually uh, corrupted uh, an African man who was a petty thief uh, and a uh, criminal and uh, 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 who functioned as a provocateur, who put drugs in, in, in Fred Hampton's uh, Kool-Aid so that he was helpless in his bed and came in and murdered him. And this woman, uh, 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 who is the mayor now, and she's the mayor in part because a lot of votes from white people, because she was promoting herself as what? 
as the first black woman lesbian, right? Because there's some automatic uh, transfer of progressiveness uh, to homosexuality from the white community uh, uh, and also to a gender. So that she was a woman, homosexual, and uh, uh, so they got a, she got a lot of votes and they elected her. And now she, you see why they elected her because she works against the interests of the African revolution. Here is Chicago where they had secret prisons. I said had, they still do. Uh, where Africans are taken, what do they call it? Off the books, off the uh, places and tortured uh, to get confessions where John Burgess, is that his name? Uh, who retired. Uh, uh, and was never convicted of a crime of murder and brutality who tortured black people into confessions, hundreds of black people into confession. And she's talking about the miracle mile, you know, where all of this wealth is concentrated uh, in Chicago outside of the African community is pumped from the African communities to this place from the exploitation of black people. That's where that wealth is going. And the truth of the matter is, notwithstanding what consciousness, political or ideological consciousness that Africans may have around this question, this in the, in the final analysis, how reparations gonna really look because masses of African people who come to understand that every value, everything they see uh, in this country uh, of worth anything is a consequence of stolen black labor, people are gonna take it back. We're not gonna starve. We're not gonna be in these these, 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 these cordoned off uh, uh, communities surrounded by police uh, with guns and what have you and threatened by uh, being uh, by terror all the time, it's not gonna work anymore. And uh, uh, so you can call it, they can call it looting. We know who the lo real looters are uh, and it is a form of reparations. And the problem of course is that that movement has not uh, uh, you know, developed enough, at, not yet, hasn't developed enough for it to be conscious of, of reparations as an objective uh, that it would be achieving on the road to, to revolution. That's what the African revolution, that's what the party has to contribute to this spontaneous uh, struggle and uprising we see happening in places like Chicago. So this woman who is the mayor of Chicago wants to distinguish herself from Trump who said he wants to send in federal troops uh, uh, into Chicago uh, uh, she wants to distinguish herself from Trump on the one hand, but on the other hand, she is trying to, she's characterizing the Africans in Chicago in the same way Trump characterized the Africans in Chicago, Chicago as the basis uh, for sending in troops. She cannot say, as an African woman, she cannot say that African people in Chicago, like every other place in this country, suffer the worst kind of exploitation and brutality this is the foundation for anything that you see happening in the Miracle Mile. That's why people are striking out and they didn't need permission. They didn't need to say, I'm doing this because of George Floyd. They didn't need any of that. They're doing it because of what happens to them on a daily basis right there in Chicago. Yeah. Thank you, Chairman. Totally unite. Uhura, Chairman, that is profound and uh, the National Guard have been sent, or the federal troops have been mm -hmm. sent in here to uh, St. Louis. And- yep. uh, St. Louis? Yes, yes. And yeah. I'm not sure if they have arrived yet, but they are coming. And yeah. they're there as part of the ongoing attack against the African working class, which is under vicious attack every single day in the media yeah. by 
you know, and as the politicians are stealing every cent possible um, that's supposed to be targeted or might have been in the African community. And Chairman, we're, we're kind of coming up to the end, so there's not a lot of time to talk about this, but last Sunday in your study that is so brilliant, so profound, every Sunday at 8 a.m. Eastern, Omali taught me is the name of the study. People can find that on the chairman's Facebook page, Chairman Omali Shatella. You said that you had no doubt whatsoever that the US and Israel were involved in the recent explosions in Beirut that killed at least 137 people. And I believe that it's a lot more than that and injured thousands. Could you just say quickly a little bit about that? France could also be involved in this. I see Macron uh, yeah. is, uh, has been to Lebanon France, and yeah. may still be there. And mm -hmm. France, of course, is the colonial power uh, that helped to shape what is now called modern uh, 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 Lebanon in terms of the borders, the current borders and things like that. And uh, the US, uh, uh, this has been going on for a couple of hundred years. And for uh, at least a hundred years or so, the, the existing borders. And this, these were borders that were created by Europeans. This is what made uh, so-called Lawrence of Arabia, you know, uh, famous, this British guy, this English guy uh, who uh, was so courageous and, and far-seeing, et cetera. They looking for oil and uh, things like that. They, the whole region, you know, after the collapse of the Ottoman uh, uh, Empire, uh, uh, this whole region is up for grabs and all of them go in. And so Lebanon has its own history and its own basis of unity and stability and disunity, you know, going back for, for millennia. Uh, and well, certainly for, uh, uh, for a few hundred years. And uh, as you know, even after the Crusades, uh, the, 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 the Franks, is that how you say it? The people who are now calling themselves French, the Franks, Francs, however they're characterized, they they brought they were in in Lebanon, mm -hmm. and they were Christians in Lebanon. So you had these Christians, you had different uh, Muslim sects and different Christians uh, sects and what have you. So that was a part of how the political uh, and ideological scheme uh, was reflected on the foundation of this uh, capitalist colonialist uh, uh, thing that was put there. So uh, Israel. The United States in particular, but what they call Western Europe, uh, generally speaking, has been aggressive and right now more than we've seen in a long time uh, in that region. They are killing right now. They are killing people in Iran. They are, they are blowing up uh, places. They are kidnapping, assassinating people on a regular basis right now. Uh, you can discover that if you Google hard enough, you'll see what the U.S. is doing there. You see what Israel is doing and has done there. You see Israel that invaded Lebanon. Uh, 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 I forgot in the year, but it wasn't that long ago. And they got the butts kicked uh, by Hezbollah, uh, which is allied with what? Iran, uh, et cetera. So this is the, the political uh, uh, ferment, if you will, uh, that we're looking at. And Israel has, is notorious uh, for that kind of activity. And as we mentioned, it's doing it uh, in Iran. It's doing it in other places uh, throughout the Middle East and in Africa. Uh, so there's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt. I have no doubt at all uh, that uh, the U.S. and Israel, or is the U.S. through Israel, are uh, involved in that explosion. That because they want to, uh, particularly, they want to get rid of Hezbollah. They want to undermine the leadership and authority of Hezbollah, and they want to have another government in place that they can uh, act 
control with some kind of absolute uh, 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 finality. Uhuru. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it right there. I wish we could yeah. go on yeah. and talk to you for a few more hours, as you have been. People have been trying to keep you on the radio shows in France <laughs> and African people everywhere. So um, you're very much in demand, Chairman. And thank you very, very much for, for being on this show today. This has been a profound discussion. Uhuru. Thank you. Thank you, Comrade. Thank you so much. Uhuru. Uhura Chairman, so we're just going to be closing out with some announcements. So before we do that, I just want to see if there's any any last uh, comments you would like to make. And and I just want to echo what Chairwoman Penny said and appreciate your presence on this on this program today. And it was extremely uh, powerful and a great honor to have you on. I just want to say that uh, everybody who's interested in changing the reality that we are confronted with today, they should join the Uhuru movement. They should uh, work under the leadership or join the party. Uh, because we're going for the whole thing. It's not just some single issue that we are dealing with, even though we may be talking about a single issue at any given moment. Our objective is to create a whole new world, and we are uh, confident, and some might say arrogant enough to believe that we can do, do it and know that it can be done and that we're winning. So thank you so much, comrades. Uhuru. Chairman. Uhuru. Uhuru. Thank Uhuru. you, Chairman Omali Yashitala. Thank you so much, and thank you to everybody who uh, tuned in today, including all of the places I mentioned earlier, as well as somebody in Brussels who's joining us on Facebook. So uh, people around the world have been uh, tuned in for this incredible discussion that we've been having with the founder and leader of the Uhuru Movement, the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, chairman of the Black is Back Coalition, chairman Omalia Shatella. So I also want to appreciate uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess for all of the uh, incredible statements throughout this, this show today as well and want to encourage everybody to mark your calendars for every Tuesday, same time, same place, 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time here on Black Power 96.3 FM. You can listen on the radio here in St. Petersburg. You can listen from anywhere around the world at blackpower96.org, or you can watch live on Facebook at facebook.com slash Uhuru Solidarity. Also want to strongly urge people to tune in every Sunday for an incredible two-hour study led by Chairman Omali Shatella called Omali Taught Me that takes place on the Burning Spear YouTube channel and Chairman Omali Shatella's Facebook page. The chairman is currently involved in an incredible political education series on the question of the nation. So definitely encourage people to uh, participate this Sunday at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And finally, I want to encourage everyone who's listening, especially white people, to go to uhurusolidarity.org. Check out the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, the mass organization of the African People's Solidarity Committee, working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, organizing in the white community to build solidarity with the African Revolution. And we are planning for a march for reparations in cities throughout the United States on October 17th. So you can find more information about that and get in touch with us by emailing info at uhurusolidarity.org. Thank you again to Chairman Amali Shatella, Chairwoman Penny Hess, to Black Power 96.3. This has been Reparations in Action, and we will see you again next Tuesday at 12 Eastern Standard Time here on Black Power 96.3 FM. Uhuru. Uhuru. Uhuru.